Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. So you're the only one who can. So how does he do those things? He does those things through us. There are times that, yes, God operates directly. There are times that we get to experience his miracles directly. But he prefers to work through us. And the greatest pleasure that the father has is to see his sons and daughters love as he loves. There's no greater joy for the father than to see his love in his sons and daughters and then go through his sons and daughters to other people who maybe have not yet experienced the fullness of that love. And so before we jump into the message... I want to invite all of us on this Father's Day um, to be his hands and feet, to be an expression of his heart. So um, there are times, just like Taylor said, that in these songs that we'll have a song that makes these incredible promises that every day keeps getting better and better. And there's times it doesn't. And in the last couple weeks, I had a phone call with um, Nicola's parents, Justin and Nicola uh, Lorman, who just dedicated Alexandria, have been a part of this church uh, from day one. They moved from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, believing in God's vision. They made incredible sacrifices. They still make incredible sacrifices. It's important for you to know the people on this team are sacrificing in order to build this church and get it to where it needs to be. But Nicholas' dad called me, and they're in a season where everything that could go wrong is going wrong. And there's a lot of health complications. He's legally blind, and because of that, obviously, uh, makes it challenging, you know, with different work opportunities. And, um, and then um, his wife, uh, Nanette, just had a major surgery that was... Potential in the moment, it was it, it had some life threatening qualities to it, but uh, there's some disability and things of that nature, and so they're moving from California to come live with the Lormans, and the Lormans are amazing people who have huge hearts and who love all of us extremely well. But now they're going to honor their father and mother by kind of returning the favor, all the ways that our father and mother loves us, now they're going to return the favor in a difficult season and love them by hosting them. And we're praying that as they move from California to here, that this will be a new season of life. We're praying that there'll be some physical healing in their life so that these medical conditions um, no longer prevent them from all the different things that they want to experience in life. And one of those things is working and and being able to provide for themselves. But here's what I want to ask us to do as a church. We have been blessed, 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 blessed by the Lormans. Would you today, in a Father's Day kind of way, would you bless her parents 
by giving a gift to help us pay for them to move from California to Memphis. They're going to move July 26th. They're going to start driving this direction. And so what I want to encourage you to do, if you'll just uh, go to OC sign up at 94,000, OC sign up at 94,000, uh, there's an option to give there. And if you'll give toward benevolence and just depending on, you know, whatever you can do, if it's $25, fantastic. If it's $100, fantastic. But if anybody's moved recently, you know it can be expensive to move, and especially from California to here. So how do we go the extra mile to prove love works? That's our vision. That's who we are as a church. And there's going to be times that we do that with people outside of our church, but we actually have a huge need inside the life of our church. And so in that way, here's what I want to ask you to do. All of us, we ask God. Right, God gives these amazing promises that, that, you know, if we'll put him first, that he'll open the floodgates of heaven upon us and he'll pour out a blessing until there's no more need. And all of us want God to be incredibly generous to us, right? Well, then let's be generous to others and let's model the heart of the Father on Father's Day and whatever first number pops into your mind, stretch a little bit and go whatever that next number is, okay? And let's just be a blessing. So you can do that. Uh, OC sign up to 94000 and it will be an opportunity for us to bless Jim and Nanette Shaw, the Lorman's parents, um, to help them get here and pray for a new season in their life. Sound good? Father... Bless, bless, bless each person here as a giver. And God, use their gifts to bring the shawls into a new season. Prove your love to the shawls. When it feels like you're distant, distant, feels like you're not answering prayers, feels like what in the world's going on, give us the ability to prove your love works. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. All right, one last thing before I jump in. This Wednesday, Karen said this earlier, is our last uh, work day, serve day at the synagogue uh, until uh, July 9th, all right? We have made so much amazing progress. You guys are working incredibly hard, and there's just a few projects right now that we're really, really close with this one work day that we could call those projects done, and that empowers then kind of the, the uh, construction teams to come in, start getting to work, and then we'll tackle some more long-term projects in July. So Wednesday, 4 to 8, um, we'll be there. If anybody, um, you know, has extra flexibility and wants to come early or something like that, you can call me, text me, and we'll figure that out. But 4 to 8, we'll be there. And a large part of the job, you know, particularly... You know, some people might think, well, I'm not very handy. I classify. That is, I am not very handy. But uh, I, I'm, I'm a good in the cleanup crew, right, and just throwing stuff away. So that's a large part of the job. So, all right, so we're making great progress. Great things are happening. This series, this is week three. The series is titled, I Am With You. One of the greatest promises of God repetitively throughout scripture. 
the promise that he will be with us. The tagline of this series is the promise of a better tomorrow. In all of us, desire a better tomorrow. And there's five primary themes through the book of Haggai, all right? The first one is this, consider your ways. And the reason why he begins with this, let me give you a little historical context. Uh, The Jews were exiled into Babylon. They were there for 70 years. Then God calls them back to Israel, and King Cyrus issues a decree that they rebuild the temple, and about 50,000 Jews return to Israel to rebuild the temple. And Zerubbabel comes and he lays the foundation of the temple. But when he lays the foundation of the temple, he begins to meet some opposition from the Samaritans, and then he has opposition from the outside, and then he battles indifference from the inside. Opposition from the outside, indifference from the inside. He lays the foundation, and then they quit the work, and they allow that work of rebuilding the second temple to basically lie dormant for 16 years. And so God comes alongside, and he says, consider your ways. And that's kind of the first message, because see, to consider your ways, he's implying that we need to correct our ways. See, that when we consider our ways, we're evaluating our ways, and we're trying to learn from experience. And in this consider your ways, he tells them that they were building their house, and they were living in nice houses while his house lies in ruins. And so he says, consider your ways. Then the second message in this book is build the house. And really, this is kind of a symbolic for go back and put first things first. That throughout the message of the Bible, God tells us you shall have no other gods before him and that we should put him first. And in this particular time period of history, the house represented where God dwelled. It represented the people of God. It represented kind of the strength of God. And so you got to put God first. Then that third message is I am with you, all right? And there's been times that when you've been in exile for 70 years, you don't feel like God is with you, okay? And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But then the fourth message, he says, work for I am with you. And so we co-labor with God. A lot of times we want God to do everything for us, but yet God gives us the privilege. He calls us to be an ambassador of Christ. He calls us to co-labor with Christ. He calls us to be a servant of Christ. He said, I did not come to be served, but rather to serve. And so we can't be like him unless we also become a servant. And then lastly, he says, I will make you like a signet ring. And that was the ring of the king that represented his authority, represented his anointing, represented his favor. So in Haggai chapter 1, we'll start in verse 7. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now that's the second time he says this. How many of you need to hear something a second time, right? How many of you hear it the first time and you heard it, but you didn't really hear it and you heard it and in order to kind of determine whether this is really important or not, you're waiting for the second time. You're waiting for the third time, all right? 
But they had neglected God's word for 16 years. So how many times did they need to hear, consider your ways, that when they are walking around the focal point of the city in what should be the glory of the city is lying in ruins, he says, consider your ways. And so let me ask this question. Why has God's favor ceased? He tells them, you have sown much, but you harvest little. Why has God's blessing decreased? And he says, you know, you're living in your houses that are priority, that are nice, but mine lies in ruins. So each person was... There was priority. They were urgent to finish his or her house, but there wasn't any urgency to finish God's house. So let me ask you this question. When God's favor doesn't seem like it's present, when God's blessing doesn't seem like it's present, has God changed? But yet, frequently, we blame God for the absence of, of his blessing, for the absence of his favor. And, and so we have to ask this question, can God be good and still give us consequences? Yes, but it doesn't feel good. Yes, but we don't like it. Can God be good and still discipline his people? See, Hebrews 12, verse 7 says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He goes on and says that if you don't receive the discipline of the Lord, then it really is evidence that you're not a son or a daughter. Because watch what he says about discipline in Hebrews 12, verse 10 and 11. For they disciplined us for a short time, our earthly parents, as it seemed best to them. But watch this. But he disciplines us for our good. Amen. It's true, but it's hard. Okay? Now watch. He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. The word holy means it makes us set apart. It makes us unique. It makes us radically different. Those who have been disciplined and respond to discipline live their lives set apart than everyone else. Then he says this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Amen. Let's be real. Let's not be super spiritual, okay? Let's not act like everything's always all hunky-dory and good. I mean, that's real. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Aren't you glad the Bible just shoots you straight? Doesn't kind of whitewash things? But later, this discipline, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in those who've been trained by it. So let me ask you this question. How do you hear, consider your ways? Do you hear that positively or negatively? There's a tendency when we hear something like that 
we have this picture of the angry preacher who's just yelling at you, veins popping out, and there's all kinds of hypocrisy and all kinds of inconsistency, and I don't see that to be the heart of God at all. Because see, when I, as a parent, discipline my children, it's hard to do. As we talk about family dedication, I remember the first time that Mark is our firstborn, and Mark's a very strong-willed child, and after he you know, got past two years of age, we discovered how strong-willed he was, and so we researched about, you know, how do you spank a child? How do you discipline a child? And, you know, you want to have enough pain to just sting a little bit, but not hurt, not wound, not break the spirit, not break. And so we did this kind of research and found that, like, if you buy a little thing from a glue gun and you just pop a little bit, it'll sting a little bit, but it won't hurt them and stuff. And so, like, you know, he was a pro at, like, if the line's here, I'm right here. Okay, he's not just touching the line, he's jumping over the line, all right? And so the very first time that we were going to spank him, I had the glue gun, and, you know, and I'm trying to figure out the right kind of glue stick. I kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, glue stick. I kind of pop in myself, okay, like, oh, does that hurt? Does that sting or not? And then I pop him, and he looks up at me like nothing happened, right? You know, and Karen just starts dying laughing at me because, you know, you know, dad's trying to do the right thing and kind of, you know, do what needs to be done and like it didn't phase Mark at all. And then later, as Mark got a little bit older and I'd say, hey, if you do that, you're going to get spanking. And he'd look at me and he'd go, two or three. <laughs> that tells you kind of the, the strong will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this worth it or not? All right. And so, consider your ways. How do you hear this? Here's how I believe God wants us to hear it. It's an invitation for us to return to God. But watch this, and it's a promise that God will return to us. The scripture says time and time again, return to God, and he'll return to you. And and so, do you need to see... The return of God's favor and blessing in your life. Of course we do, right? See, the blessings return when we return. It's that simple. The blessings return when we return. Now, there's times in the abundance of God's grace that we don't deserve something, and he gives us grace anyway. There's times in the abundance of God's mercy that we do deserve some type of consequence, and he doesn't give it to us out of mercy anyway. But whether you believe in God or not, I think a universal truth is the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. If we sow good things, we reap good things. We sow bad things, we reap bad things. But from God's perspective, not only do we reap what we sow, we reap after we sow. The harvest comes after the sowing process. But then I think according to the abundant goodness of God, we reap more than we sow. All right? So when we look at this, the blessings return when we return. Otherwise, we're running out from under his umbrella of protection and promise. He has 
we're kind of under his umbrella of protection and promise. Blessings and consequences doesn't mean there isn't grace and mercy. Let's stop putting God in an all or nothing category. All right? How would we learn apart from blessing and consequences? I mean, how would we grow apart from blessing and consequences? I remember early in our ministry, there was this couple that as they had their first child, they decided as a part of their parenting philosophy and approach that they would not ever use the word no. I'd love to go back and go, how's that working for you? You know, like, are you kidding me? This proves you've never parented before, right? So listen to this. It's better for us to teach them about blessing and consequences early because the world's definitely going to say no. And the world's definitely going to give them consequences. And so we need to train them while they're under the umbrella of our protection and provision and promise. So what does God say next? Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. He says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple. Now watch this. He says, that I may be pleased with it and glorified, says the Lord. So what are they to do? They're to rebuild the temple, all right? But because there's been 16 years of delay, he's really saying rebuild it with speed, okay? Um, don't neglect this any longer. So just in the world of personal application, see, every truth is timeless. This truth has a context a couple thousand years ago, all right? But the truth also has a timeless context in application to your life. And so let me just ask you some questions to help you apply it, all right? What are you neglecting today? You know, what's something that God's been telling you to do and you hearing? And it's not a question whether it's right or wrong. And there's a part of you that knows you should do it and there's a part of you that doesn't want to do it. And just what are you neglecting today? Here's another application question. Where are you delaying obedience? See, that's one of those convenient things. Like, I, I, I'm saying in my heart, I want to obey. And it's not that I'm disobeying. I'm just delaying my obedience. But delayed obedience is disobedience. So let me ask you this question. What do you need to address quickly? Timing is more important than time. Think about a surfer. When a surfer paddles out, and is watching the waves come in, when the, the, that surfer, he or she, determines this is the right wave, they begin to paddle to kind of jump up on that board, and if they can catch the wave at the right time, all the beauty of the wave, the power of the wave, takes them on an incredible ride. The timing is more important than the time, because I'm not a good surfer. Some friends have tried to train me, and I did it enough to know the times I missed it, and, you know, you kind of duck under the wave and you wait for the next one, right? I've did it enough to know to try to get it, and it tumbles me over. Timing right now is a tipping point. There is something in your life God's wanting you to do, 
And whatever that something is, if you'll obey it, it'll be a catalyst to making every other step of obedience easier. It's a tipping point. There are times that there's this thing that looks like a mountain in front of you. You get intimidated by it. Um, You don't know how to climb that mountain, but just take one step of obedience that will lead to the next step. So he says, rebuild the temple. Then why? I may be pleased with it and be glorified. Most of us are focused on what pleases us, not what pleases God. That's the most natural thing in the world, all right? But listen to this principle. If you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. And if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. Now, let me say that again. If you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. And if you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. Now, this is so important. If you don't get anything else today, please dial in right here and understand the heart of your God on Father's Day. There are times that whatever our experience is with our earthly father, if it wasn't the best, we project that upon our heavenly father. My father was very wounded in life. He was abandoned. Literally, this is the 1940s, so you know, times were different, but there was literally a police car parked at a diner. The policeman's inside. My dad's mom was an alcoholic, felt very unfit or unworthy to be a mom. And at my dad being about one, she just placed him in the police car and left. And he bounced around foster homes and eventually bounced out about 13 years of age and literally lived at a place called You Come In Barbecue, had a little room in the back, worked there, went to school kind of thing. And because of that, my dad was very broken. And the easiest thing for a broken person to do is to give away broken love. And there were a lot of things that he did that um, were very hurtful. And unless God intervened in my life and showed me the difference between an earthly father and a heavenly father, then instead of healing occurring in my life, the brokenness would have been perpetuated. And so, please, whatever your experience is with the earthly father, earthly mother, please hear who God is as the father and what he takes pleasure in. So here's the question. What does God take pleasure in? Psalm 147.11 says this, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now that word fear him means stand in awe of him. It's not fear as in the sense that I'm afraid of him, but it's fear in the sense of I see his majesty, I see his goodness, I see all the things that make him holy. Now watch Psalm 149 verse 4. It says, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, He adorns the humble with salvation. He adorns the humble. By the way, anyone here, you know, really attracted to prideful people? No. No one likes prideful or arrogant people. He adorns the humble with salvation. The word salvation just means healing. So I want you to pause for a moment. 
And just reflect upon this. Do you really comprehend and understand that the Lord takes pleasure in you? One time a friend of mine, he was kind of a leadership consultant. And he said, Chris, he said, let me ask you a question. Is God happy with you? The way I grew up, and some of kind of what I inherited through, you know, honestly, kind of legalism of religion and stuff like that. My answer to that would have been, no. Like, I can't ever do enough. As if he's the most unhappy father in the world. And as if everything is good works based. And I'm just this sinner in the hands of an angry God. I don't think that's the accurate picture of who our God is. I think everything that my heart desires for my children as a father comes from the heavenly father. And so is God happy with you? I think he takes pleasure in you. I think what he desires more than anything is for all of his goodness to be poured into you. I think you are the apple of his eye. Listen, today's Father's Day. How can you please your heavenly Father? To fear the Lord, to stand in awe of him. Number two, to hope in his steadfast love, his unwavering love, his unconditional love. And then there's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. You know how he summarizes them? Love God, love people. I mean, that's how you please the Father. You just take what he does and you do it to others. You love, you receive his love, you return his love, and you give away his love. It's not that complicated. We've made it complicated. We've unfortunately become not the best representation See, we're supposed to be an experiential representation of his love. See, there's a lot of people who, they don't want to, like, we say, well, you know, God wants us to be like him. And people go, well, if being like him means being like you, I don't want to be like you. (laughs) But the people that were most unlike God liked God the most. Wait a second. What do you mean? Jesus literally, the harshest words he spoke in all the Bible were to the religious people, the Pharisees. But he would hang out with what was called the sinners, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. And when he would hang out with them, they didn't feel shame. But yet he didn't compromise who he was. He offered people compassion without compromise. And the people that were, I'm going to say it again, most unlike him, liked him the most. Even though their life didn't measure up, the unconditional love won out. I say this all the time. Love is patient. Love is kind. And when love is patient and kind, you'll eventually rejoice with the truth. But if our love is impatient and unkind, they'll never rejoice with our truth. 
our greatest doctrine is love. If we violate the message of love, our truth doesn't matter. So what does it look like practically for us as individual sons and daughters to please the Father and for the Father to be pleased with us? Well, parents want individual time with their sons and daughters. So last week, Mark came in in town. This coming week, Annika's coming in town. And we love having that one-on-one time, right? Well, in your relationship with God, kind of view that as a priority time. You know, it's your, your devotional time. You're spending time with him daily through the word and prayer. But parents also want time together with their family. And that's why holidays are so important. The family comes together. Well, God not only has holidays, holidays comes from the word holy days. The Sabbath is a weekly way that he wants us to actually set aside a day to reflect upon his goodness, to enjoy his goodness, and enjoy our loved ones. And so there's a, a, a daily time that's a priority time. There's a weekly time that's a Sabbath. And see, parents want all the family members to love and serve one another. You know, the thing, and you know, hopefully I'm not the only parent in this, this category, right? I don't think I am. You know, the thing that would bless me the most is for Mark Conley to prioritize his younger sister, Annika. And the thing that would prior, that bless me the most is for Annika, the younger sister, to prioritize her brother. And for siblings to just simply love one another, Right? Here's the thing. Watch this. Love is selfless. True love. It's selfless. Therefore, love serves. It serves. Now, if love never serves, then love is selfish. If it never serves, then it's selfish. If love is selfish, then it's simply the love of self, not others. If love is selfish, it's simply the love of self. And if it's the love of self, this is a hard truth. Most of the time, it's just manipulation. I'm just manipulating you to get something I want. So is there any greater satisfaction than bringing God pleasure? Nothing stirs the heart like watching an adult son or daughter make Mom or dad proud. Whether you're a sports fan or not, I'm a sports fan. But one of the reasons why I'm a sports fan is, and whether I like the team or not, or whether I like the sport or not, I always watch the championship game, and I watch it all the way through the celebration. Because last Thursday night, it's priceless to see, even before the clock hits zero, for Dale Curry to hug and embrace his son, Steph Curry, and for Steph Curry to hug and embrace his dad, Del Curry. And for there to be that joy. It's priceless. Today, this afternoon, I'll watch the U.S. Open. And I hope and pray that that moment comes, whoever wins, you know, if they're married, their spouse runs out, or their children run out, or their, their father or their mother come together. It's priceless. It's what God desires for each and every one of us. Listen to what it says. Rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified. So how will he be glorified? 
See, the temple is a place to experience him. It's a place to worship him. So he's glorified when more people love him, and he's glorified when, when more people love one another because they love him. He's glorified when more people come to know him. He's glorified when more people grow in that love. He's glorified when more people serve one another. Now watch verse 9. He says, you look for much in that our culture, our society, we're always looking for more. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Ugh, such an uncomfortable truth. Right? Declares the Lord of hosts. Watch. Why? Because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. So why does he blow it away? Now listen. Why would God let us disobey and get away with it? How long can we disobey without suffering consequences? How would we learn without discipline? So he's trying to say, hey, when you're complaining about these things, consider your ways that I want to bless you, but when you ignore me and you don't consider your ways, I have to do certain things to get your attention. You ever done that as a parent? You ever been on the receiving end of that as a child? Yes, you have. Now watch. Putting God first should be obvious, not optional. Is it obvious God is first with your priorities and preferences? Is it obvious God is first with your desires and decisions? And then Haggai chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He says, therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. So there's two options. Neutral doesn't exist. God withholds or God blesses. We know... When we put God first, he says that he will open the floodgates of heaven upon us and pour out a blessing until there's no more need. So why would we choose God withholding instead of God blessing? Now, what's your choice today? Like right now, I would encourage you, don't leave here without making a choice. Even if it's just a choice to say yes again, even if it's just a choice to say, hey, I need to consider my ways and put you first again. Because see, no choice is a choice. Here's the heart of God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death Blessing and curse, now watch, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Isn't that what we do as a parent? Like, oh my gosh, I've entered into the most difficult season of parenting. The season where they're adults, right? I've got, you know, almost 24-year-old and a 22-year-old 
and where you're used to telling them things and they should just believe it and they should just obey it whether they do or not. Now it's very selective interest. All right? But what has always been true is still true. Now listen to this. Only God knows what's best. Only God wants what's best. Only God gives what's best. The closest thing this world has to offer to those three things being true is a parent. A parent imperfectly tries to know what's best. A parent imperfectly wants what's best. A parent imperfectly does everything he or she can to give what's best. And so what God is saying is, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Now watch this. That you and your offspring may live. So the best thing you can do for your son or daughter is not keep telling them what to do. It's just for you to obey God. Let the blessings of God come to you. Let them witness the blessing of God in such a way that they want it for themselves. And that you can give blessing to them. So he says, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God. So loving comes first. Obeying his voice and holding fast to him because storms come. You got to hold fast. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give them to you. So two choices. Choose obedience and the blessings or choose disobedience and the consequences. And he wants you to choose life. It's that simple. Don't make it more complicated. So on this Father's Day, he takes pleasure in you. On this Father's Day, is he trustworthy? If he's not by the way, who else is more trustworthy? I tell my kids sometimes, listen, when it comes to the church, don't compare with what God says ought to be right. Don't compare the casual Christian, the convenient kind of consumeristic Christian. Don't compare the, the example of disobedience when you want to see the real thing, don't compare the, you know, 70 or 80% sometimes in the church. Look at the best examples. Look at the 10%, the 20% that are really living their life that way and say, is this the life I want? Is this a life where people love in a sacrificial way? Is this a life where people serve in a selfless way? Is this a life where people Go the extra mile to prove love works. And if that point of comparison is true, then believe. If that's not, you can find something better, go believe it. But no one else has defeated sin and death. No one else has risen from the grave. No one else has proven his love the way that God does. And so if there's anything good in us on this Father's Day that models unconditional love, sacrificial love, 
selfless love, a love that serves, I believe it comes from the Father. And I believe that's what he wants you to have and experience more than anything. Would you pray with me? Father, if there's anybody here today that's never quite truly understood your goodness, never truly made a decision to place their faith in you, I just invite you to pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. And that word sin just means I miss the mark. It means I'm imperfect. It's just the one thing that all of us can agree upon. We're all imperfect. God, forgive me of my sin. Second, then it's like, God, I, I repent of my sin. That just means I changed my mind. I don't want to live that way any longer. But then third, God, I place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Not blind faith. We have a very historical faith. We have very proven faith. I place my faith in Jesus. Maybe you just say it this way. Save me, Lord Jesus. And I believe as soon as you say, save me, Lord Jesus, something's awakened in your heart and there's a desire to say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.